Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your blessings. Thanks so much for uh, this church and this fellowship and my friends. We've known, I've known some of these guys for years and years, serving along together, going on trips and all that kind of stuff. And we just thank you that we can gather together as your people. And I pray you would just provide, Lord, for the future and, and place. Lord, place seems to be such an important thing in many ways in your, in your, in your word, Lord. And um, it's important to us, Lord. And, and thank you that it's important to you. And I pray you'd, you'd provide. And this morning, we just pray for your, your spirit to be with us and, and bless, Lord, because we need that blessing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, cool. All right, let's turn to Second uh, Kings nine twenty, and I've we're not going to be camped out on one. See, I'm getting distracted by this thing already. Uh, we're not going to be camped out on one particular passage, so please bear with, okay? Um, so Second Kings nine twenty, and I'll um, and then if you want to cue yourself up, there's sections to what I'm talking about. I feel especially coming out of this. Of uh, this time of of quarantine and and of uh, of you know kind of being you know all apart and being alone, that there's some th some things I wanted to share that I think could help us. One, the third thing in particular I think is really church oriented, and I, I I just I know it's something that would be on Mike's heart. The first two not so much. Okay, I could say without any doubt that Mike, and I'll reach him pretty quickly, is not necessarily on the top of his passion list. But the third one definitely is, okay? So follow this. Here we go. Uh, 2 Kings 9.20. Again, the sentinel, sentinel reported, he reached them, but he is not coming back. It looks like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives like a maniac. Joram said, get ready. And they got his chariot ready. And King Joram of Israel and King Ahaziah of Judah set out each in his chariot to, and then went to meet Jehu. They met him at the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. When Joram saw Jehu, he said, is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, what peace can there be so long as there are as the many whoredoms and sorceries of your mother Jezebel continue. Uh, then, okay, well, I didn't need to read all that part. Um, mainly, verse 20. It looks like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nim Nimshi, for he drives like a maniac. All right, first topic, bear with. How to drive. All right. And I've got, I've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five points on driving. And they'll be quick. I think most of us are drivers here. Um, all the kids have gone. So here we go. How to drive. Firstly, know the rules of the road. If you need to go back and look at the driving manual, do that once in a while because you need to know how to drive. I think especially in, the, in, a, in our area here, I come from Ballard, this is, the, this is something that people need to kind of brush up on periodically. Um, second thing, get close to your steering wheel. Drive, drive with contact to the steering wheel, okay? Um, my wife once got in, a, in an accident with our car while driving, while operating the car from the passenger side. 
get closer to the controls. Okay, third thing, turn off your phone. Okay, or, you know, put it aside. Um, now, if you're just starting to drive, one of my tips would be to get alone. Drive alone. So you get used to the whole thing and then becomes a communal experience. But like for an early, a young driver, and if you guys have been, are, are you, you guys are driving, right? No? Okay, so, so this would be helpful. When you first start out, you're with your parents or whatever, that's good. But don't get along with all your friends at the beginning. Get alone, get used to the driving experience, okay? Um, four, make contact, not with other cars, but make contact with all the mirrors, adjust things so that they're all proper. Uh, make contact with your seatbelt, put the thing on, um, and then turn the key if you got a key in there, right? And then the last one here, step on the gas, okay? Are you guys making, taking notes on this? Because it, it could be helpful. Okay, here we go. Topic number two that might not, be, might not teach on or be interested in teaching on, Let's, we'll go to Sol Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 9. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 9 says, And your kisses, like the best wine that goes down smoothly, gliding over the lips and teeth. Okay, second topic, kissing. All right, um, I got to tell you a how not to kiss story. Just, just see, I, I said bear with, so bear with me on this thing. It'll, it'll make sense in a bit. Um, and by the way, this is something I taught our college group, and it would really bless them. Um, when I was, see, I grew up in Ballard here. I went to James Monroe Junior High, which is, I think the building's still there, but it's not, it's not a junior high any longer. It's on 65th and um, between 17th and 20th, maybe. Something along the lines there. Um, and what, back in those days, especially in the winter, you'd go and you'd bring all your clothes and you'd bring your coat to the cloakroom. You know, is that a familiar concept to younger people? No, uh, but you've heard of it. You probably read about it in Harry Potter or something like that. Um, okay, the cloakroom. Right, older people remember the cloakroom, right? You go and you check in your your coat or whatever. Um, the girl who was, who was in charge, the student in charge of the cloakroom, was a gal named Beverly, I believe. If I got this right, I, 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 shouldn't, I shouldn't make mention names. So um, anyway, whoever it was, I fell in love with her. I fell in love with the girl in the cloakroom. And um, and as I would give my coat to her every uh, day, pretty much, um, and retrieve, and she wasn't there when I retreated, so that wasn't as special getting the coat, but I, leaving the coat was an awesome time, and we talk. And um, we started, you know, passing notes, so we were pretty solid in understanding where the relationship was at, right? We knew that it was heading toward a potential kiss in junior high. This is serious stuff. So one morning I knew I was going to do it. I was going to kiss this girl. And so I gave her my coat. We talked for a little bit and it got quiet and I went in for it. Now every movie I saw, you got to close your eyes. Don't close your eyes on your first kiss, okay, in junior high. 
Because what happened is I didn't account for the, the, the height of the floor on which she was standing. Because in the cloakroom, there was a step up into it. So she was higher than when we would hang out. So I went in, closed my eyes, and planted a kiss on her chin. Fortunately, I realized my mistake. I adjusted up about three inches, and I went in for the kiss. Boom. Bullseye. Can I have a hand for that, okay? Okay. How to kiss. Here we go. Know the rules of the road. Know what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, okay? Secondly, um, get alone, all right? We, we, we're, we, we should have done this in a more of a controlled environment. Thirdly, make contact. Make contact with the lips, okay? Um, third uh, point, and I don't know if I used this on the first one, use your lips. Use your lips. When kissing, as much as possible, use your lips. And the, the fourth, uh, fourth or fifth tip, step on the gas. I'll let's just let that one go. I won't, I won't extrapolate on that. Third topic, here we go, worship. Um, and this is the one I think Mike would probably be more likely to be kind of passionate about. And so in case I, you're watching online, Mike, and I know you are, uh, thank you for your patience that you too have bared with me. All right. Also, I'm going to give you some, t uh, some tips on worship. And I think this is important because I think we as, a, uh, a, as the people of God, the primary thing that, that, that makes up who we are is loving God. And so I'm not, going to, I'm not going to get like real theological about this. I'm going to try to be as practical as I was with driving and kissing. Because I think that there's, it's, sometimes we can get real theological about these things, but I think where we, we sometimes get into trouble is we're not practical about these things. Okay, so um, first topic, you you'll might notice that there's some sort of commonality here. Know the rules of the road. When it comes to... Worship, what does the Bible have to say about worship? Okay, because I think about like churches. In churches in different, um, different communities and different cultures have a different way of approaching worship, right? The Catholic Church, they worship in a certain way. Um, Andy and I were, uh, as we were getting up ready for, worship, uh, for church upstairs, we were listening to some sort of worship track. And it was, I think it was a hill song or a Bethel tune, uh, a song that was on. And in the middle of this song, somebody started shouting. And, right? You familiar with this? Oh, God! And there's just shouting going on. And so we're just having a normal conversation. We're listening to the music and along. And then there's somebody shouting. And I thought, okay. And then Andy go, goes and forwards it to the next song. Because that's not really, that's not a part of our, like when Jen's leading worship, or I'm leading worship, very little shouting is done. Uh, it's just not the way we go about things. Now, that's to me, that's the danger, is that we have a way of going about things, and that we've got so comfortable with that, we may be comfortable, but we might not be worshiping. And so, what does the Bible have to say? John 4.24, to me, is like one of these definitive uh, passages. It says, um, God is spirit, and those who worship him, this is Jesus talking, so Jesus knows worship. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
And I, th I think there's probably a lot to this, and I he I've heard many, many people go into this, but I think it's just for us common people. I would say, it, it, to me it means, it needs to come from your heart, it needs to be spiritual, but it also should be grounded in the truth. Um, and so we have pla you know, places in, in um, the church or movements in the church that are super, uh, uh, and I have a friend, uh, one of our worship leaders, Julie, she comes from the Bethel School of, of Worship. And um, she's not so much like this, but the, I noticed that these Bethel songs are like 15 minutes long. And their worship sessions, sessions, as I call them, are about 45 minutes with probably three songs. It's intense and it's very emotional. And I, and I asked I asked him, I sat down with her husband, I said, okay, I just gotta ask you, how do you do that? How do you sustain emotional contact like that, that long? He's, and he said, well, you just get used to it. I said, is it like a muscle? And he says, yeah, it's like a muscle. You get used to it. And I think if that's true, which I think he, he's probably right about that, we can, we can grow in our ability to sustain spiritual, emotional connection with the Lord. And we might need to build up those muscles. And I think worship, the musical part, and I'm not you know, getting like crazy like, oh, worship really is all these other things. I'm talking about music worship, church worship, okay? That's exactly what I'm talking about. That is a moment where we can stretch those muscles and exercise those muscles, especially I think in, in our churches, in the, in the emotional and the spiritual experience realm. Amen? Amen? And I think this is something we need to task ourselves with and be able to grow in. And then in truth, that it is, in fact, and I think we're probably pretty good. I, I, I don't know. I, I, all, I can, all I know about your worship sessions is that I hear them from upstairs, okay? They seem very truthful, okay? So it's not just emotional and going crazy into that direction, but they have truth built into them. And that's why I love, I like the hymns personally for myself. I like hymns because there's a lot of truth and real solid stuff, stuff that helps you to think. But if we tend toward that, Maybe we need more of the other, right? Okay. Secondly, second point. The first one is um, know the rules of the road. Second one is get close. Much like kissing. See this? See what I'm doing here? Much like kissing, much like the driving thing. Um, James, in case you ha you're not get getting what I'm, how I'm doing this, right? There's a thing I'm doing. It's probably not important, but it is to me. It's what I hold on to, okay? Um, James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And it talks about, and James talks about this interaction of a, sin, a normal human being who is in fact, just as the fundamental thing that we come to God with, we come as sinners. And even like, I don't know if you did a lot of prep for church this morning. If you think about church or is it just like a reflex action? But I think sometimes we come as just needy sinners, don't we? I, I'm assuming we're all like that. And what we need to do is when we get close to God, we need to get real honest. Because it doesn't help to, to, get, to try to get close and to be fake. You got to get you're honest. And that's what you know, James is talking about here. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. But then he immediately goes to this, 
this whole thing about dealing with our sin, leaving off sin, being cleansed by Jesus, even grieving over our sin. And, and that is one of the key parts of real worship is that we would deal with the human issue of where we're at. It's not just about singing these wonderful songs. It's awesome that it's entertaining. And I, I think music by nature is, has an entertainment quality. to It's awesome. It's inspiring. But we need to deal with the reality of who we are and that we humble ourselves before God and, and worship humbling yourself, you know, um, so you're not coming as a, as a worship critic, uh, like, oh, I like that song, or, you know, I wish Mike would play this on the upbeat, or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever your thing is, um, that you come and you humble yourself before God and let him lift you up. Okay, next point, turn off your phone. And I, what I mean by this, well, I'll just go to the passage here. 1 Corinthians 7.35. 1 Corinthians 7.35, if you want to make notation of this for future uh, direction, says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to pr promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And this is, you know, uh, this is a scripture taken out of this whole thing that Paul is bringing to him. But this idea of undivided devotion to the Lord, this too is a muscle we need to build up. The, the ability to be undivided in our attention. And you know, church is a weird thing in our culture these days. We're used to multitasking, we got a bunch of things going on. To sit down and listen to a TED talk or a lecture, uh, every, like Paul is on his second one today. It's amazing, it's a tribute to you. And like I said to Paul, it's like a, it's just a blur of Christianity coming at you. Uh, but building up this ability to take this time that we have together and, and the time in worship and let all the distractions go is key. And I would say to young people especially, I mean, I know that we're all in this together. We're, our phones are a portal to all sorts of interesting information. And we can get real neurotic about them. Worship is a great place where we're, we're phoneless. And you can cherish it for that. Cherish it that it's maybe the one part of your life, of your whole life, that's phoneless. Praise God for that. Turn off your phone. Turn off the whole, you can even turn off the world around you and, um, and have this un, undivided devotion to the Lord. Hebrews 12.1 also talks about this and this, this idea. Therefore, and since we are so surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangle, uh, tangles us and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the, uh, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. And again, you know, it, I think this idea is that since we're surrounded by a community, and this is this community of historical people who are people of faith, we're surrounded by this. And in our communities today, we're surrounded by other people. Let's draw near to God. And there's something that, um, 
Uh, one more passage, and I'll make this point. Uh, Mark 6.30 says, um, the apostles returned to Jesus and told, uh, told them all, all, the, all that they had done and taught, because Jesus sends them out, and they come back and give them a little report. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Um, when we get together corporately, an interesting thing happens. There's both, if we're doing it right, there's both an aloneness and a togetherness. We're alone in that we're all approaching God on our own. And that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to approach him on your own. But together as we do this, it creates a, a, a togetherness. And it's like a dance. Um, you're with a bunch of people that are affecting the worship around you. Did you ever have that experience? Like uh, you go into a church and everybody's just like, it probably happens Sunday mornings here. Everybody's jazzed. Everybody's into it. It's like, oh, wow, that was awesome. What happened is that somehow everybody decided to get into it, to respond to the Spirit. Because the Spirit's always there. Everybody somehow decided to get, it's some sort of thing that happens. And then you're caught up in it as well. That can happen every single time where we just are responding to the Lord. It doesn't happen all the time, and we're, just, we're humans, but this, this dance happens. And I think what, what we could do to, to make that happen is if we, if we come as worshipers, so we worship the Lord at home, on our own, alone, we understand, we, and especially for worship leaders, to develop this ability to worship the Lord and then bring that into the community, there becomes, it, it, it can become a real communal, communal thing. All right, um, make contact. Oh my, I, I haven't numbered these things. I think we're on our fourth one. Um, Romans 8.15 says this, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, you may have a good theology, a worshipology. I'm sure there's a better word for that. A worship theology. Um, and you may know the definition and the forms, and we may know, you know the songs and whatnot. But do we reach out and touch the Lord? Do we cry out, Abba, Father? You know, um, when I was, um, when I was a, a traveling musician, with, uh, you, guys know, you guys know Robert Cakes, right? Some of you guys know, a lot of you guys know Robert Cakes, yeah. Uh, he was a musician, I was in his group. And we would tote around this whole piece. I mean, nothing like this. I mean, this is huge. I mean, it, this is probably much more powerful, this little speaker right here, than what we had, but ours were huge. And so we'd load in and load out. You guys know the load in, load out thing from the, yeah. You know that well. We would have a light system too. Did you guys put, bring in lights when you loaded in loading? Okay, yeah. Well, we had these lights that were on these, these big stands, and they would go up 12 feet. We'd you know, take them and then unscrew it, and it was steel. Aluminum wasn't made in this, yet in this era. Um, and there, we'd raise them up and clamp them off, and then the lights would be on the top, and it was a, a 220 system, okay? So uh, you guys know what 220 is? I mean, normal, all this is like 110 electric. Normal, you plug in your computer and that kind of thing. 220 is like your dryer. It's big, huge plugs, you know. If you ever want to kind of t 
take a screwdriver and connect those, those posts together, you'll understand that there's a little bit of a difference. They're both powerful. Uh, 220 is uh, something else. And I know this personally because I was on this ladder and it was my job to adjust the lights. Of all, you know, we're all scattered around doing things. So I get up on this ladder and I'm adjusting this lights and one of them was out. One of the lights was out. So I'm at the top of this ladder and I'm thinking, oh dear, I gotta go down the ladder, pull the whole thing down, take the knob, pull this whole thing down, figure out this light, put it back up, adjust it, and it's really heavy, adjust this thing, and then get, you know, get the lights going. I thought, well, maybe I can just get it going myself. So it was the far light on the outside of these four lights that were on this, this arm, and then the four lights were hanging down, and I had a screwdriver. I thought, okay, let's just see if it's the connector. So I reach out, on, I'm balancing myself real good. I'm like on one foot, and I got my leg counterbalancing me, and I got a hold of the, I got a hold of the ladder. I'm safe, this is all OSHA approved, I'm very sure. I haven't read the book or anything, but I'm, like, I'm on the, like the second step to the top, so I'm kind of holding it down here, and I know that if I can just tap that thing, so I tap it, and it flickers on. And I think, okay, just gotta make sure it's on and not gonna come off. And I tap it again, and I make contact with the electricity. 220, and here's my experience with it. I don't know how this happened. I'm not an engineer, I don't know much. But my arms straightened out. <laughs> and it's only because I was really young and I had balance. Because right now, I mean, it would have, I would have been dead. It was a cement floor, the whole thing. I straightened out from the screwdriver here, and I felt an explosion in my fingertips on this side, and I don't even know why. I can't explain it, and, and you might say, okay, as, a, as an electrical person, I know that's not true. That's what I experienced. That's my true. testimony. True. Okay. Through your, your extremities. <laughs> to my extremities. And then I th threw the screwdriver, and it, 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 it made an explosion in my mind, it, but all the people just saw me just like, whoa, and I grabbed onto the, the thing, and I looked up and I went, well done. <laughs> That's the way you do it. But I have, I have this moment where I contacted 220. All of us experience 110, right, once in a while. You've been shocked? Yeah, yeah, it's a good feeling. If you, if you don't remember it, just go, you know, go stick a knife in a toaster and just, just get a little uh, refresher course. 220 is more sharp and it's very powerful. It, it, I know electricity not just in theory, but I know it in experience. We need to know the power of God not just in theory, but in experience. And worship provides that experience to touch the Lord and to make ourselves vulnerable and to bring ourselves. So it's not just words. It's, and I think a lot of times we're bored. We're, we, Christians get bored in worship. It's not that God's not here. It's just not, we're not sticking the knife in the toaster. We got to get in contact with the Lord. And we can. Final one. No, sorry. Okay, the other one's real short. Use your lips. Okay. Uh, the Bible is really big on physical action. I, I, I don't know if you know this. Um, like a lot of us like to think um, we can do everything inside our head. Um, but worship is an action. And then the attitude of worship often follows the action. So like you could say, I humble myself, but it's, it, it, it's, it, it could be quite a bit less if 
until you kneel and you find yourself being humble in a deeper way. Saying you honor and worship God is one thing, but I, I'm just going to say testimonially, testimonially, when you raise your hands in worship, it becomes another thing. It becomes on a deeper level. In Psalm 134, you go through the Psalms, you're going to see this. I'm going to give you Psalm 30, 134. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Um, Psalm 98.4, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Um, break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing, and there's like exclamation points at the end of all these sentences in Psalm 89. I mean, I, I, I think they're assumed uh, that there's are exclamation points. Sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and, and the sound of horn. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. And it's talking about making noise. Sound. The cool thing is that God's given us in our, in our bodies the ability to make sound. And we can make cool sound. I mean, it's not always going to be pitch perfect. I don't think this thing doesn't say anything about pitch perfect here. It's just talking about noise. We can make noise. We should. Psalm 95, uh, 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship the Lord and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord. And, you know, again, I think that action, that actions play a big part in the reality of, of the things of faith in our lives. Final step. Step on the gas. Okay? Um, Psalm 42, 1 says this. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so, my soul, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. And to me, this has always been one of the most startling, controversial, challenging passages in the scripture. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Of all the things that God would want from us, He wants love from us. And David is such an example of this. And of all the terrible things David did, I mean, he did some terrible th things. But you know the thing that marked him in the long run? The thing that marked him was that he was a man after God's heart. Right? That's the thing that he's known for. He's not known as, ah, oh, King David, oh yeah, the murderer, the uh, philanderer murderer. He's known as the man after God's heart. I think we can be too conservative in our churches today. We can be like old people, like myself, driving under the speed limit. There's no need for that. Neither on the road, and especially in our churches. We need to step on the gas. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and your ways. And Lord God, the extravagance of your love for us um, really sheds a light on, on, on our need 
to know how to worship. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be distracted. We'd be willing to get close. We would use our lips. We'd use our hands. And God, give us grace in this church, in our churches, to step on the gas, and to love you with zeal. We just pray for that. Teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.